Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 9 is where we're going to go. We're going to pick up where we left off. What we're going to be talking about today is pretty important in understanding the way that God deals with mankind. And so we're going to run across a word today that uh, we haven't seen yet. And so it gives us another chance to kind of dive in follow that and see where it might go. And we're not going to be able to follow it as far as it goes. We're, we would we would be here for years to exhaust the depth of covenant. All right, that's the word that we're going to end up running across today. Somebody mind reading, how about Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 and 9? And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Excellent, thank you. So that word is covenant. This is the covenant that God is making with Noah. All right. This is at the end of the flood story, and God is setting up a covenant. Covenant's not a word that we use very often, though. It's not a word that is something that we use in our everyday language or our everyday vocabulary. So let's look at a few synonyms, but I need to caution. These synonyms are imperfect matches for the word covenant. Okay. So one synonym could be a contract. Another synonym could be agreement. Another synonym for covenant could be treaty. Another one could be like a last will and testament. So there's just four we can go with. All right, so if you combine certain elements of what you think of when you hear of a contract or an agreement or a treaty or a last will and testament, a covenant in the biblical sense carries with it similar ideas to each of those, but not a, a direct match to any of those. Okay, and there, you could throw up in a, other synonyms as well. This will get us started. All right. Typically in the Bible, when you find a covenant, it's a, it's a word that shows up a lot. You find it between one person and another person. That's one form of covenant. You find it between one nation and another nation. You find it sometimes between uh, a superior, like a king, and his subjects. Or you can even find it as a three-way covenant. A king, his subjects, and God. And then the ones that we're going to be looking at primarily today are going to be covenants between God and a representative person. Okay? So between God and a person, but it has ramifications that extend beyond that person in most of the situations that we're going to see today. If you were to ask how many covenants are in the Bible, you can't really put a number on it because you would have to start to figure out, well, are we talking about between a man and a man as it included? Like David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan had a covenant between one another. They made a covenant with one another. I use the word made a covenant. It's actually more appropriate to say cut a covenant. You're probably thinking, cut a covenant? <laughs> what is that? Turn to Genesis 15. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that now because we're going to be there in a couple months anyway. <laughs> but Genesis chapter 15. Optimistic. <laughs> Optimistic, I like that. Genesis chapter 15. Look at these verses here, verse 9. Starting with verse 9, it says this. 
So he, speaking of God, said to him, this is going to be Abraham over here. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. What's a heifer? Cow. It's a cow. There you go. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. He cut them in two. This is where the word for covenant comes from, the cut, or cutting. So what ends up happening as you read the rest of the story, you take these animals and you cut them in half, and you put them on either side of a path that the parties of the covenant typically would walk through with one another. And the idea was, if either one of us breaks this covenant, we admit that what we deserve is what happened to these animals. All right? So it was taken pretty seriously. All right? So you're walking through this, and here's these animals split in two on either side of you. And you're thinking, this is gonna, I'm agreeing that this should happen to me, that, this, that I should bear this kind of end if I was to break the covenant. That's kind of the idea, all right? So that was kind of what led to, but the word for cut is more appropriate to say you cut a covenant than to make a covenant. So basically, in our Old Testament, or Older Testament, we're looking at covenants between God and representative people. Here, we're at Noah. Who was the covenant made that we just read about? Abraham. Abraham, or Abram originally. Yeah. Any other covenants that you can think of with significant people? Moses. Moses. There you go. Any others? You didn't know there was going to be a quiz today, huh? Mm-hmm. There's sure, also there was all Jacob, probably, right? There's no. David. Jacob? No. Abraham no. ends up, uh, God ends up making a covenant with Abraham that ends up, the, some of the similar wording that's given to Abraham is reiterated by God to Isaac. And then that same language is reiterated again to Jacob. So, yeah, absolutely. Good one. There's another one, too, that... We didn't run across the word covenant in our reading of it, but a lot of people would say we should include Adam in here as well. Okay, So here we have Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. That's a good place to start. (laughs) Like I said earlier, if you're wondering how many covenants there are in the Bible, there's disagreement. There's disagreement, and like I said, it has to do with what are we going to limit it to? Are we going to limit it to, you know, our our person making a covenant with another person going to be included in that list or not? Okay, so if you're just looking... At these, at significant, at major covenants, you'll have some authors will tell you anywhere between 1 and 12. All right, so there's a broad range. So there isn't consensus on as to how many, and part of it has to do with, like I said, defining what kind of covenant we're talking about. So we're just throwing up some of the major ones right here, just to give us an idea. We're just doing like an introduction to covenants, okay? In the covenant with Adam, go to chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. Somebody mind reading that? And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. 
So in reading that, we see the first place that it's mentioned or where people would refer you to when talking about the covenant with Adam. The covenant with Adam, though, like I said, it's usually a significant individual that's serving as a representative for a larger group. In this case, how many people here can raise their hand and say, my ancestry goes back to Adam? It should be all of us, right? <laughs> exactly right. So it should be that all of us have as our ancestor, our great ancestor, Adam. So in a sense, this covenant to Adam applies to us in general. It's a general covenant. All right? All right. Yes. So, um, covenant as opposed to promise. Promise is just something that's done without another part to it, but covenant means you, they're doing something if you're doing something. Excellent or question. Parts, right? Excellent question. The word promise, we could have added to that list of synonyms. And in fact, Paul in Galatians uses the word promise somewhat interchangeably in talking with, about the covenant. In fact, he uses the word promise there more than he uses the word covenant. So that word you could actually include on the list. Now, as far as other terms of the covenant, yes, there are typically terms. And Bianca, I think, bringing that up as well. Usually with the covenant, there was usually this idea that both parties would bring something to the table. That both parties would bring to the table, this is what I'm pledging. This is what I'm agreeing to. This is what I'm giving up. This is what I'm uh, obligating myself for, okay, in most of them. There are some, though, that don't have that element. There are some of these covenants where it's one party saying, I will do everything I say I'm going to do, and you don't have to actually behave in a certain way. You can't actually end up violating it and therefore release me. Kind of weird, huh? That would be an unconditional covenant. So, as we're going to see, when God makes an unconditional covenant, he says, it doesn't matter how you behave I'm going to follow through on what I say I'm going to do. And we actually are all beneficiaries of his willingness to step into a covenant like that. Does that kind of answer your question, or was your question no, something it. different? Like, the covenant would be two parts. You do this, and he does this. And if you don't do this, you don't get that. Or, But then a promise to me would be just like, it's one-sided. It is kind of more of a one-sided thing, yeah. You could, you could have two parties in a covenant that are making promises to one another. For example, the covenant that uh, was between Jacob and Laban. All right? that was, they were not on good terms. All right? But they end up making a covenant, and it's basically, we're both agreeing that you're going to stay over there, and I'm going to stay over here, and we're not going to bother each other anymore. <laughs> so they're making promises to one another in, in that sense. Whereas sometimes we'll run across covenants where God says, I promise this, and I'm not even expecting, you know, nothing on your part. You can fail, you can follow through, I'm still going to follow through on my end. Yes? I kind of have a question on that, because as you're talking about it, I was thinking about the Exodus, and God says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, before they ever get to Sinai, you know, I mean, but I've never heard that discussed as like a covenant okay i mean is would you consider that typically the covenants are more formalized mm -hmm. god does make lots of promises where if we were to include every time he says i promise to do something if we were to include that as a covenant we'd just be overwhelmed in talking about covenants there would just be too many. Okay. but yeah god is a promise making promise keeping god and because he is that we get to benefit from it our, we owe our salvation to a promise making promise keeping god if it was based on anything less than that, if it had anything to do with our righteousness, we're done. You know, if God says, I want you to be good just one day in your whole life, we'd still fail. <laughs> but he says, you know what? I got this. I got this. 
He makes his promises and he keeps them. All right, let's look at a few more of these. Regarding this covenant with Adam, most of the time you'll get an additional reference or two where people will say it's broader than just chapter 1. Okay, here's what they mean by that. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Somebody might read that one. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. So here we have a situation where parts of the terms of the covenant, right? We've got some terms. So it's a general covenant, but it's not unconditional. It's conditional at this point. All right. So you've got what? What's the condition? Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree, or else something will happen. In a conditional covenant, the language is typically something like this: If you do this, I will do that. If you don't do this, then I'm off the hook. Right? Is basically what it amounts to. So conditional covenant carries with it that language that bases it on the behavior of the parties involved. All right? So we've got a general covenant toward Adam and all of us through that. But there's, like I said, a two-part covenant. So far we've looked at what we would call the covenant of innocence. Some people would call it the covenant of innocence. They would say that Adam is a two-part covenant and the first part is innocence. The second part, they would say, is grace. Turn to chapter 3, verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. How many am I reading that? To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. So here we see the other part of it. So if the first part was innocence, and it encompasses those two references that we looked at, the second part is grace. And when you look at it and you realize the first two parts, there was a conditional element, right? Don't eat from the tree, or else you'll die. But here you see unconditional in the sense that God is saying, this is what's going to happen, and you can't change it. And God extends grace. What is the grace? The grace is God's promise of a Savior. This is the first promise of a Savior. When's that going to be fulfilled? Not for a long, long time. All right? That's when Jesus Christ comes. He ends up satisfying that promise there. All right? So you've got sort of a conditional element and then an unconditional element in the Adamic covenant. And it's kind of a two-part, an innocence and a grace. Here we're looking at the covenant with Noah. Go to Genesis chapter 9, then, which is the passage, the main passage that we're in. And even though the word covenant doesn't show up until verse 9, his describing of the covenant has already begun. All right? That already actually began in verse 1. And we're only talking about it now because this is when the word comes up. But the covenants made to Noah are verses, basically verses 1 through 17. All right? But basically the Noah covenant is a general covenant. All right? Because how many people here are related to Noah? We should all be raising our hand, right? We're all related to Noah just as we were all related to Adam. The covenants that God made to Adam that God made to Noah, we're part of that because we're related to them. All right? They carry over. They carry down. All right? The covenant with Noah, you end up, as we would read through these verses, he's going to end up making a promise that he's never again going to destroy the earth with a flood. And he's going to set as a sign of the covenant. And by, by the way, covenants often carry with it signs. All right, So the sign of the covenant with Noah ends up being the rainbow. The sign of the covenant with Abraham is circumcision. You're probably thinking, 
man, I wish I could get the rainbow <laughs> or something. All right. So, uh, so there's, there's signs that sometimes attend the covenants. Also, another element that you'll sometimes see in the discussion of covenants is that there's a meal sometimes shared. You've got a tighter bond because of that, and it seemed to make it a, a, into a special occasion. You celebrate that occasion by having a special meal with the other party of the covenant. All right? So those are just elements that you'll sometimes see as well. So it's never again will I destroy the earth by a flood, and uh, I'm going to put this rainbow uh, as a sign. All right? And then even the language that you look at at the end of chapter 8 where it says, While earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. When you look through this covenant that he's making with Noah, you find out that this is a general covenant and it's unconditional. God is saying, I am promising to do these things for you. He's not even asking for a return promise on our part. Okay? He's saying, I'm going to give you the rainbow. You're not going to have the floods anymore. And, uh, you know, this is my general promise, unconditional promise to everyone. All right? Next one's going to be Abraham. We are not going to be able to look up in this time the passages regarding the covenant made with Abraham, and here's why. Because it starts in chapter 12. It comes up again in chapter 13. comes up in a big way in chapter 15. comes up 14 more verses in chapter 17. And then you also have it mentioned in chapter 22. All right? So the covenant made with Abraham is a big covenant. However, now I want you to think about this for a second. How many of us have as our great ancestor, Abraham? Not everybody in the room. Esther's raised her hand. Gabe maybe should be. We're not sure. <laughs> He's not sure either. <laughs> yeah, Esther's going to straighten you up after that. <laughs> so here we have a situation where the promises that are made to Abraham. Now, this is interesting here. The promises made to Abraham, they carry with it implications for Jews. For people that are descendants of Abraham. However, you find that they bleed over and bless the whole world. Because part of the blessing, part of the promise to Abraham was, through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. We're all beneficiaries, in a sense, of a covenant that was made to Abraham. All right? Moving on from there, you have the covenant made with Moses. It's a covenant that has to do with Israel. And when you get down to the one with Moses... This is a conditional covenant. Conditional. What does that mean? I will if you will. I will if you will. Right. The book of Deuteronomy. Well, you look at Exodus, you look at Deuteronomy, and the message becomes clear. As you read those as one whole cohesive unit, it's just basically, I'm going to bless you if you obey, and I'm going to curse you if you disobey. And Moses, at the end of his life, is basically trying to reiterate to the people, choose the right choice. All right? And then even Joshua, later on, when he's about to die, says the same kind of thing. Choose the right choice. Make the right choice. Come on, this should be a no-brainer, is basically what we're trying to say. Do you want life or death? Do you want blessings or cursings? It's a conditional covenant. All right? It's a conditional covenant. The next one is David. We can look at that one. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. Somebody mind reading that one. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. 
Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So here we have the Davidic covenant. It's basically this one passage. In looking at this, the promise is basically this. I'm going to give you an everlasting kingdom, and you're going to have a great one coming from you. All right? So by the time of Christ, the expectation is whoever the Messiah is going to be, whoever the deliverer is going to be, it's going to be somebody related to David. So all eyes are on David and his, his ancestry or his line by the time we get to Christ. When we're talking about the Moses covenant, the covenant made with Moses and the implications that it has for Israel and its curses if you disobey and blessings if you do obey, you end up following then the history of the Jews from that point forward. And it's not a great track record. Okay, when you get into the time of the judges and you're looking at the uh, the rest of the history up to David and then you move on, it just is not an inspiring story. All right. In the sense of human achievement. All right. When it comes to following God and being obedient, it ends up being a sad account, a cyclical account, especially in the judges about how people just fail. And then they end up calling out to God and God ends up sending a deliverer and, and, and then people follow the deliverer and all of a sudden their hearts end up. After the victories, they get apathetic, and they just fall into sin, and they fall into idolatry again. And it's just this repeating pattern. And you look at the kings, and you know you would like to see, and this was a righteous king, and this was a righteous king, and this was, that's what we would want to see, but that's not what you see. He was wicked. He was so wicked. He was worse than that other guy, and he was worse than that guy. And it just is just this list of, oh, we're doing such a bad job is basically what it looks like, all right? So as you're following through these, you get to Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah. By the time of Jeremiah, there's been a, a pretty clear pattern established. And that is, there's been more disobedience than there has been obedience. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31, 32, 33, and 34. And keep in mind, as you're going to be reading this, that Jeremiah is going to be using words that are going to be referring to basically what we would call the Mosaic Covenant. All right? Referring back to that in contrast to what we're going to be reading now. All right, somebody mind reading 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. A couple of things to point out about this passage. Number one, in verse 31, what kind of covenant, what's the description used there? What kind of word is used to describe? New covenant. A new covenant. 
So something newer than Adam, something newer than Noah's, something newer than the covenant made with Abraham, something newer than the Mosaic covenant, something newer than David, right? something new. By the time of Jeremiah, chronologically, that's next. All right? So here we have some mention of a new covenant. Does it sound like that's a pretty good arrangement? I mean, when he goes into describing that new covenant? Sounds like a pretty... Yeah, I like that. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Interestingly, though, look in verse 31 at the end as to who he says it's going to impact. Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah. Who are they? Those are Jews. Those are the Jewish people. All right? So the expectation is, hmm... Somewhere among the Jewish people is going to be this uh, new covenant. Somewhere you have future new covenant. Watch the Jewish people, <laughs> right? And we already know. Watch, watch David too. All right. So we're gonna we can focus it down a little bit to a family. The new covenant. Are we still waiting for that, or has it already been introduced? Let's move forward in time now from here and look at a couple of passages. Turn to Matthew twenty-six, near the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew twenty-six. This is uh, what we would call the Last Supper. This is the the meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. He's going to die the next day. And he ends up making a statement in chapter 26, verse 28. Somebody mind reading that. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Excellent. Thank you, Bianca. Did you catch that? Here we're having this meal. This is a meal that's been going on for a long, long time. This this is an annual meal. It's pretty well rehearsed what's going to be said and where and by whom. And Jesus throws something new into it. This is not language that you would expect to hear when you're having this meal. This language stands out. And he takes the cup. There's four cups. Each cup has significance. Each cup has a special meaning. The discussion's been the same every year about each of these cups. And he takes this particular cup and he says, New Covenant. I'm like, what? (laughs) What was that? All right, the same kind of language is found in Mark 14, 24. It's found in Luke 22, 14 through 20. And even Paul, when he's talking about the purpose of the, of the Lord's Supper and, and what we have is communion, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, that cup that Jesus is saying, this institutes the new covenant. What are his hearers supposed to be thinking about? They're supposed to be thinking about Jeremiah. The new covenant being talked about with Jeremiah. Oh, is it instituted by now? Jesus is instituting a new covenant, all right, at that point. He's telling them, This is it. What is he using as the symbol? He's using the cup of wine and saying, this is my blood poured out. This is the new covenant. Remember how we've been talking about blood before? Look at how it's all interwoven. He's our sacrifice. His spilled blood becomes what he's saying is, "This this cup is my blood shed for you. And it's the new covenant. Oh, wait, that's Jeremiah. You've got all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of nuances from these passages in the Old Testament. All right. You get that? Pretty cool. Turn to Hebrews. We're going to look some more at the New Covenant. (laughs) There's quite a bit of material in Hebrews regarding this, but we're just going to look at a few. Chapter 7, verse 22. Hebrews 7, 22 says this. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. 
So already the author of Hebrews now is going to start turning our attention toward this newer covenant. Hebrews 8 now, going to 8, verse 6 through 13. See if you recognize some of this language. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, and then he's quoting, see if you recognize the quote, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Where does that language come from? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. So the author of Hebrews is saying, Hey, everybody, that passage over Jeremiah that everybody's been hoping for, here it is. It's Jesus. If you look at a few of the comparisons of the language that's being used here, this covenant, this new covenant, and the language that's being used to describe the covenant that's being talked about before, which is primarily the Mosaic covenant, that's the one that has the most prominence. You see that, if you just look at the language here, the old one, according to Hebrews 8, 7, apparently the old one was not faultless. Right? Do you see that language? For if that first covenant had been faultless, implying that it's not. So there was some sort of imperfection or fault having to do with the old covenant. Then no place would have been sought for a second. So the new covenant is the second one. In Hebrews 8, 7, you also find that the Mosaic covenant referred to as the first covenant. This one, the new covenant being the second covenant. Hebrews 8, 13, we didn't read that verse yet. It says this. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So Jesus ends up being the perfect covenant, if you will. All these other things, these are pointing to Jesus. All these other things are imperfect types. All these other things are saying, look forward to the new. And when you get to the new, when you get to Jesus, you find out he satisfies all of it. He's the perfect covenant all right the terms of this covenant have ramifications for all of us even though it says israel and judah we end up finding from the language of paul in galatians that it's all-encompassing jew or gentile so the language starts with israel and is gets bigger and fortunately for us if you're not a jew it includes now the opportunity for you to enter into a covenant with god because it's been broadened to include Gentiles as well as Jews. So he ends up instituting a new covenant, and in him, it's a perfect covenant. It's faultless. It supersedes or is superior to anything that ever came before, because all those things we're doing were being a placeholder for him to be the fulfillment. Pretty exciting. All right, so that's our introduction to covenants. Go back to Genesis, then, chapter 9, and we'll read the words that have to do with this Mosaic covenant. Genesis 9, and we start with 8 and 9. We'll go ahead and read those again. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Here's something, verse 10. 
and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast on the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. His covenant that he's making with Noah is bigger than people. It includes the animals as well. I just think that's cool. All right. <laughs> Verse 11. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So the covenant carries over. It's still current today. Unlike contracts that we would see in a business transaction, typically they would have an expiration date. Typically covenants didn't. And in this case, this covenant still applies. The covenant applies to all mankind. And we're beneficiaries of the covenant. And it's that the earth will never again be destroyed by a flood. Do we know that the earth will be destroyed again? It will be by fire. All right, Peter tells us it will be destroyed again by fire. One of the implications that we find here, that one of the things that's implied, is that God judges sin. He can judge sin and he will judge sin. That hasn't changed. He still judges sin. But he's never again going to destroy the earth again by flood. All right? And then the rainbow serves as a sign. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to spend some time in your word. We thank you, Lord, for giving for us some glimpses as to how you deal with people. And we look at these covenants that you've made with significant people over time, serving as representatives of larger groups. And we find, Lord, that all of us are beneficiaries of the new covenant. Thank you, God, for doing that for us. An unconditional covenant that's not based on our actions. Because if it was based on our actions, we would have already failed. We deserve to be like those animals on either side of the path cut in two. But because you decided to make this one a covenant that's unconditional, Lord, you made a way for us that we don't deserve. Thank you. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Thank you, You bet. Have a good week.